couple years ago, my wife and I put together our will, and I think you remember that Brad Geiger, in case Dave Kellett uh, kicks it all of a sudden, you're getting a good chunk of my comics collection. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, uh, I, I, I remember it. I, I made a note of it. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly, I'm, I'm not walking near slippery stairs at a, wherever we were together. Um, anyway, we put, and so I was telling my in-laws that, and they're like, oh, we should put together our will. So they put together yeah. their will, and then they're going whole hog. Now they're like, we're going to pre-buy funeral plots, right? I'm like, all right, well, that seems a little depressing, but go That's, ahead, buy yeah. pre, pre-buy a funeral plot. And they're shopping around in L.A., and, uh, you know, this plot is 1000 that plot is 5000 And my dad, my father-in-law calls one of them, and it's $100,000. A hundred thousand dollars for a funeral plot. plot. Yeah. Right. Uh, and he's like, "Why? I don't get it. It's a, it's six feet of dirt. Why? Why is it a hundred thousand dollars?" And the guy goes, "The guy goes, well, sir, there's a lot of Hollywood stars in this cemetery." <laughs> <laughs> That's the most L.A. answer I've ever heard. I know. My, my, my father-in-law had the best response to the guy. He's like, "I'm not hanging out with them. I'm just dead. Why is it a hundred thousand dollars?" <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Could you imagine? Can a hundred thousand bucks? I I, <laughs> I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to stand next to a celebrity and be compared in real life. I don't want to go through that in death afterwards as well. I'd like. Have you ever seen that? The the the. I think it's in France. The the gravestone of Jim Morrison. But I always think of the ten people that are buried around Jim Morrison yeah. who are just trampled all day long. Like yeah, just no on one, the way to get to that other guy. Yeah, no one gives two shits about Johnny McGibbons who's buried right next to Jim Morrison. <laughs> you know, someone's actively taking a leak on Johnny McGibbons's grave while he's looking at Jim Morrison's grave. Like no one cares. Like you don't want to be next to a Hollywood star. <laughs> also, is that just isn't that just the the hallmark of the ultimate hubris that even in death even in yeah. death when it does not matter you're yeah. like i've got to get next to marilyn monroe that's important to me right I, right I, I, I mean the ancient philosophers said greek said that that death was the great equalizer and they clearly have never been to this cemetery but that's like it's the great equalizer but now you're paying a hundred thousand dollars to be buried next to the star of the equalizer that's the problem here <laughs> whose name was robert woodward robert woodward there we go and on that note i'm going to say hello everybody and welcome to comic lab the show about remembering obscure hollywood stars and making comics and a wasted childhood and making a living from comics. Good man. I was still feeling proud about pulling Robert Woodward out of the air. I'm Brad Geiger, editor of the webcomics.com and creator of Evil Inc. (laughs) I miss pal Dave Kellett, cartoonist of Drive and Sheldon and co-director of Stripped. And this week's hour of comics advice is made possible by your support at patreon.com slash comic lab. So Dave, Dave, let's talk comics. Let's talk comics, my friend. We got a good show and a big reminder that you too could be watching the show live and live streamed right now uh, over at patreon.com slash comic lab, the live gab level. You can watch the show every week. Uh, and we are currently waving and saying hello to our pals and friends over in the Patreon live gab group. And if you happen to miss the live stream, it is archived every week. So do check it out over at patreon.com slash comic lab. So Dave, we've got a big show ahead of us. We've got some uh, we've got some great questions. We've got some good updates. And I'm going to start us off right off the bat with this one. And uh, I think it's a fairly common situation. Uh, this person, uh, Alan Gladfelter, one of our $5 Patreon backers, writes in and says that he can't make time for Patreon rewards. Listen to this. 
He says, you talk a lot about building an active audience by having exclusive content on Patreon, but just getting my comic done takes all the bandwidth I have. I don't have extra time, energy, or interest in making nifty extra stuff just for an exclusive audience I actually don't have yet. I'm not so sure I want to put my comic behind a paywall because I'm just starting and I'm nervous about placing anything between my comic and a potential reader. What I've been telling myself is that I'm putting all of my eggs in the Kickstarter basket. And what I'm doing right now is just trying to build enough of an audience to support a successful Kickstarter a year or two down the road. Mm -hmm. I really don't see Patreon as a very big part of this effort. If I'm not, quote, trying to make a living at comics, unquote, as you guys say, and don't really care about making a lot of Patreon bucks, is it okay to just use Patreon as a tip jar and just post my comics there as I do on my website, Webtoons, and other social media? Dave Kellett, Alan saying, I can't make time for these Patreon rewards. The exclusives. Yeah, so I think there's actually a, a, a point of differentiation that's worth clarifying on here, yeah. which is I don't know, Brad, and Brad, you can tell me if I'm wrong here. Have we ever said build your audience with exclusives on Patreon or have we said build oh, your oh, audience oh. elsewhere and then bring them to Patreon to monetize them? I thought that was more what we have consistently said. That's the first thing we've got to address is that that first sentence is completely wrong. <laughs> we uh, we got to start there. Uh, you talk a lot about building an active audience by having exclusive content on Patreon. That is that's untrue. What we've said is that Patreon is no place to build an audience. Patreon is the place that you take your audience once you've built it so that you can monetize it. In right. fact, we I I have uh, actively and 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 there's different ways to do this, but I've actively said you should not be using Patreon to publish at all. I only put exclusive rewards on Patreon. And that includes early access that eventually becomes public. Uh but I I, I Patreon is not an audience building tool. Mm -hmm. It's an audience monetization tool. And to understand that, all you've got to understand is what we say time and time again. Everything you need to know about crowdfunding is in the name. First comes the crowd, then comes the funding. Patreon is not a place to build audience. Now, that, and the good news here is that you have the right frame of mind in the way you're thinking about Kickstarter, which is... Yeah. And so I think if you apply that to Patreon, you'll have a better sense of what we're talking about here, yeah. which is that you are working towards a goal, which is to, to build that audience and then eventually point them towards a Kickstarter. Right. And in so doing, be able to monetize that audience. That same kind of thing is is what the what we would recommend with Patreon. And in this case, let's now talk about uh, the idea of how long it takes to make exclusives. And I don't have the time and I don't oh, there's too much going on. I can't. I'm, I, it's enough just to make the comic. And and by yeah. the way, Brad and I get that. That's yep. that's a very relatable problem to have is I only have enough time to make the comics. So let's talk about what you can do with exactly identical material. No <sighs> additional extra work yep. that makes it an exclusive. OK, so Brad's already mentioned one early reads just by the very fact of putting it up a week early two weeks early a yep. month early whatever you want to choose that becomes an exclusive granted it's time period allotted but it's still an exclusive to have that up uh early for everybody um the conversation the excitement there is something very unique it's like going to see a sneak peek of a film before it's out yeah 
or paying $100,000 to be buried next to the star of BJ and the Bear. Um, that's, you know, these are these are the exclusives that people want to pay for. <laughs> I remember BJ and the Bear. That's the crazy thing about I'm it. I'm now thinking of like the most obscure 70s movies that I could think of for the rest yeah. of the show. Um, but uh, uh, what was I getting at? Okay, so uh, time allotted exclusives. So no extra comic was created, but you're yeah. giving it to them early. That has right. a tremendous amount of excitement. Other things you can do process shots of making that comic that's yep. literally just screen grabs along the way or frankly if you forgot it's just turning layers off taking a screen grab turning one more layer on taking a screen grab yep. turning the other additional layers on taking a final screen grab and you show process by doing that right yep 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 so that's another way to do it uh brad what are other exclusives we can think oh. of that it required no other work well, we're going to point Alan right to a pro tips episode where I shared 15 things to post on Patreon when you don't know what to post on Patreon. That's right. Most or almost all of them don't require a lot of extra work, right? Your idea of the time. Did you say time lapse yet? Uh, no, I did not say time lapse. It's version of what I said, but that's even better. Yeah. Time-lapse videos are very, very good. And uh, you can either do that by, you know, hanging a camera over your shoulder if you're doing pen and ink, or if you're using Clip Studio, you can just hit that button that records a time-lapse in the background as you're working. It's amazingly uh, uh, well done. It doesn't really eat up a lot of uh, server space or a lot of uh, mm -hmm. CPU energy. It's super good. And, and, and if like you have they, if you have an iPhone, sorry, Brad, you yeah. you alluded to this, but if you have an iPhone, the time lapse setting uh, yeah. mounted over your desk is actually a very pleasant way, yeah. super low effort <laughs> to create an instant video that requires almost no editing. Uh, right. You maybe will trim off a, a couple seconds on the front and on the end. Uh, and then it, bada bing, bada boom, you're, you're posted up and have an exclusive with literally no extra work. It's so easy yeah. to do. Not only that, but don't forget all of that stuff that you've created or are creating you can package and repackage that stuff. You can package that into e-comics, e-books, e-sketchbooks. Mm -hmm. I've released e-sketchbooks. Mm -hmm. All of that stuff, uh, you can package that in a number of different ways, either by theme or by chronology or by chapter. Uh, you can release that in a ton of different ways. Right. doesn't take a whole lot of extra work. You're just assembling all of those images into a PDF. Boom, you've got an exclusive reward. There's tons of stuff that you can do for exclusives that don't necessarily take extra work. Absolutely. And you know what? We haven't mentioned it in a long time, so it is worth reminding you. Brad mentioned that this was all gathered in one big pro tips episode. And yeah. for those new to the show or have forgotten, every week we record an entirely second podcast of just pro tips for our Patreon backers. And uh, that can be found over at patreon.com slash comic lab. So if you haven't tried it out, try us out for a month because those pro tips episodes, I got to tell you, it is literally hundreds of hours now yeah. of, of super drilling down a detailed and also fun episodes about pro tips you can use. And David, I do want you to know, in case anybody wants to look at that, uh, uh, Beverly over in the live stream uh, saved my uh, behind. Uh, it is pro tips number 157. So if you want to go but back, thank the you, Beverly. The mere fact that the number is 157 yeah. in on the pro tips. Those, that's 157 <laughs> episodes you've never heard before, gang. So jump on over at patreon.com slash comic club. Anyway, to get back to Alan's question, uh, I think that really it's it's a mind frame thing about how can you very easily, quickly take products that are already being produced yeah. to what Brad and I are saying and to repurpose them as Patreon exclusives, either by time 
either by uh, slicing them up in a way that like requires no work, either through time-lapse photography or through uh, displaying the layers of the file. Um, to Brad's point, post-production, collecting yeah. them as eBooks, as coloring books, as whatever you want to do with them. Uh, there's a lot of things you can do with already produced art that requires no additional work. Yeah. Now let's get to Alan's last uh, point that he made. And Alan says, hey, is it okay if I just use Patreon for a tip jar? And the answer is, of course, yes. However, there's a danger there that you need to be aware of. And it's something that we've talked about on this show. We actually warned against using Patreon as a tip jar too early. Mm -hmm. And somebody wrote into the show and said, listen, I didn't take your advice. And now uh, I am miserable. And I wish I would have taken your advice on this because it's doing to my brain exactly what you warned against. So I'm going to take one more minute and warn you about this again. Uh, and it's this. If you set that Patreon up too early, even as a tip jar, and you set that up too early, here's what's going to happen. Because you've put the funding in front of the crowd instead of putting the crowd in front of the funding, you're going to get zero dollars and zero cents. You're going to set the Patreon up and it's going to be a big fat goose egg that looks you in the eye every time you see it. And it's month after month after month that you're either going to get zero dollars or you're going to get one patron who's spending maybe two bucks, which is almost as bad, if not worse. Right. 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 Uh, and it's going to wear down on your self-esteem. It's going to make you feel like a loser. It's going to make you feel like you're not doing well. Yep. Of yep. course, the answer is, of course, you can do this. The danger is, is that because you haven't built your audience yet and because you're doing this, frankly, too early, uh, you're taking a big risk with your self-esteem and with your mental image. And so much of this thing that we do happens between the ears. Yes, You're taking yes. a real risk with your creativity because that goose egg is going to weigh on you month after month after month. Absolutely. And before we move on to our next Patreon question, I have one yeah. pro tip for my friend Brad, actually, because I know Brad and I know how he's going to, to tackle this. Brad, when you're buying your Hollywood plot, you're going to think <laughs> that it's a good idea to buy near the Three Stooges. But I'm going to tell you right now, spending spending eternity hearing <laughs> is not the way you want to go. I know you think it's fun and cool to buy the oh. plot right next to the Three Stooges. It's not where you want to be, my friend. That got that that got old really really quick. Even during one of the movies, let alone for eternity. <laughs> now, real quick, is what if you had to be buried next to a celebrity? Like they're 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 saying you've got to be buried next to a celebrity. Who would you choose and why? Oh my goodness. For me, it would be Robin Williams, who I thought just exhibited such warmth and joy throughout his life, I thought, yeah. you know, and and frankly, knowing what he faced towards the end of his life, what 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 a good person, I think, yeah. uh, to have gone through life with the strength that he had in, in terrible circumstances and still maintain to bring joy to the world and to the people around him in the best way that he could. I, that, yeah. that, I, I don't know if you wanted a serious answer. That was no, my I, serious I, answer. <laughs> I didn't know what I wanted, uh, but but I could I totally I totally understand. I don't know. I think I would have chosen Dangerfield just because uh, because the whole thing with Dangerfield was that he didn't get respect, and you you'd kind of feel a little bit better about yourself next to that guy. You know, <laughs> you'd like well maybe I'm not doing as bad as he was doing. All right, Brad. Well, let me jump.
jump us into our next question. This comes in from Adam over at patreon.com slash comic lab. And Adam writes, hey, Brad and Dave, I'm working hard to produce the best possible comic I can. But as you discussed on episode 222, by the way, Brad, episode 222. Yeah. We yeah. are plowing our way through these. This Beautiful. is great. Um, <laughs> illustrators can find themselves burning out by overdrawing comics. Yeah. And I have tragically fallen into this very trap. I'm revising and simplifying my approach in order to keep a consistent release schedule. I would love to hear some of the self-imposed limits you've used or heard of for both art and writing approaches. What are some guardrails that prevent someone from getting bogged down with insignificant details? Yeah. Thanks for sharing all of your helpful knowledge with the Comic Lab community, says Adam. Brad, so what are your pro <sighs> tips, basically, Brad, yeah. on how you don't get bogged down on details that keep and hold up the work? I'll be honest with you. The most powerful uh, safeguard you've got at your disposal is a deadline. A deadline will cure you of that immediately. <laughs> Once you are staring that deadline down and you've got to get this thing done so you can move on to other things, uh, it'll, it'll cure you of overdrawing because you, you've got to. I mean, that's, yeah. that was the, the, one of the best things that I learned from my years in newspapers is get it done. Get it yeah. done. It's got to be done on deadline. And uh, as a result, I've got a, a clearly a very different idea of deadlines that many uh, other than many people around me. I, I, I get that very clearly every time I make an assignment to my student, students and uh, I set a deadline and and then I get these things handed in days afterwards, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. <clears throat> deadlines are really, really important uh, for keeping you on schedule and keeping you on track. And I'm going to advocate them as one of the best ways of keeping from overdrawing. What do you think? I, I think that first of all, I think that's very true. A yeah. deadline, whether it be self-imposed or external, is incredibly helpful. My uh, my suggestion is that time and tide kind of has a way of humbling you as to how a lot of detail can help a comic. Yeah. And here's what I mean by that. I have had comics, and I'm sure Brad has had too, mm -hmm. where I have poured four, eight, 12 hours oh, into the comic. Just yeah. every every little touch is about the perfection of my line art. I'm, oh, I'm putting down a masterpiece, Brad. Yes. And yes. no one cares. I released yeah. it to the world and it was crickets. <laughs> I have literally had it where I put in tens of extra hours and no one cared. It was a comic that just fell flat. And yeah. by comparison, Brad, what I've told this story before, I think, on the yeah. show, but it was one time where I was lecturing down at SCAD in Savannah, the Savannah College of Art and Design. I was lecturing at SCAD. And when we got done, my wife and I went out and had a bunch of wine. She <laughs> fell asleep and I went, oh, no, I have a comic due. I've got to do the comic. Yeah. It's like two in the morning. I didn't have the right materials. I did a comic, Brad. I, and I remember too much wine, two yep. in the morning, very yep. tired, just wanted oh. to get it up. Right. Yeah. All the conditions. I cranked out this comic and Brad, that single comic. I'm not joking about this. I've sold probably $10,000 worth of prints from that comic. I'm not oh even kidding. God. It has turned out to be one of the most popular comics I've ever done. Yeah. It's a, it's basically a flow chart of should I have a cookie? And like, it's all these decision makings of like, do I want a cookie? Because the hotel lobby, by the way, had these cookies. And on the way back, I was like, should I have one? It's 2 a.m. Somebody was staying at a double tree. <laughs> so anyway, what I'm getting at, though, is that it, it's lessons like that that are taught yeah. to you over years as a cartoonist that you realize that you can, of course, pour your heart into a comic. There's yep. nothing wrong with that. That's a, by the way, that's how we learn and grow is to uh, 
on some comics, we really stretch ourselves. That's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. But there is a humility with comes when you do this a few hundred times and you realize sometimes it doesn't make a damn bit of difference. It's the core idea that matters, not the execution in an overdrawn yes. comic. Yeah. And, and the other side of that coin, I'm just going it, to it's the exact same thing, but it's another aspect is that the more you do this, you'll have a law of diminishing returns in each comic that you do. In yes. other words, when I was just starting out, each comic was kind of precious, right? Every yes. every four panels was a very precious little gem that I would send and polish for a long time. Well, I've been doing that for a long time. I've done at this point several thousands of comics, probably, you know, between five and 10,000 comics somewhere in there, right? It's harder to get precious about something you've done 5,000 times, right? <laughs> At some point, it's like, yep, there's the refrigerator. There's the wall. Bing, bop, boom. Because <laughs> you've, you've drawn yeah. it a yeah. thousand times yes. and it's hard to get precious about it. So some of this is just going to be uh, your journey that you're just going to have to learn like the rest of us. It's going to have to kind of erode in your own psyche uh, the more you do it, the, the more you're going to loosen up. And, and, and I guess the other side of that whole coin is that uh, overdrawing at this stage is perfectly natural and normal. And don't feel bad that you're doing it because no. we all do it. We all did it. And the only way to not do it is to do it a whole lot more times and learn as you go. Exactly. Well, can I focus on that phrase, learn as you go? Because Brad really hit on a point that I want to make, which is, you know, many of us are self-taught. And even if we went to art school, we continue to learn by the process of drawing. So what I mean by that is it's okay if Brad spends an extra couple hours on an evil ink because he really wants to get that grand piano in the background looking great. Here's why that's okay. Yeah, does does it make a difference to the comic? Probably not. Are there mm-hmm. simpler ways he could have drawn it? Absolutely. But that's a moment of learning for Brad, the yep. artist, to take a minute and say, can I execute on a grand piano? I right. want to see if I can draw a grand piano, right? And so did it impact the comic? Not at all. A, a simpler version could have done the trick. But yeah. that day, Brad taught himself a little mm-hmm. bit of art. And so that's okay. I've done the same thing where I'll be drawing a space battle and drive. I could probably do it a slightly simpler way, but I'll take the extra hour or two because I want to try to figure out how to draw X, Y, Z. Or, yeah. hey, I saw this thing in, a, I don't know, a Mike Bignola comic, or I saw it in an anime. I want to see if I can reproduce that effect in my right. own style in this comic. I'm going to take the time to do it. Does it impact the comic? Not at all. But... <laughs> In so doing, in those little incremental learning moments, five years, 10 years go by, you suddenly realize, oh, hell, I've taught myself a lot of art in this last yeah. five, 10 years, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And and take, I mean, the the, the upshot of that is to uh, allow yourself those moments a little bit. Yeah. Try not to get bogged down in it. And again, I think if you take everything we've said in this segment, you've got a pretty good plan of attack because everything that Dave said is absolutely valid and beautiful uh, and, ha- and, 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 and enjoying that and allowing yourself to do that is going to be perfectly fine. And if you set a deadline, <laughs> like I said at the very beginning, you're not going to go too far into the weeds. You're not going to get lost in the swamp. Yeah. You're going to you're going to stay on track uh, between all of those things that we talked about, allowing yourself the, the ability to say, yes, this is what I'm doing. And this is normal at this point. And having that deadline to keep you from working on one page for a month. Uh That's uh, all of that, I think, is going to combine to give you some pretty good direction on that. 
And I'm just going to remind everybody of Brad's excellent advice from a few weeks back that I thought was very applicable for cartooning, which is in the newspaper, you got it done first and then you polished it. Yeah. And then you put a little extra zhuzh on the polish if you had time. So to Brad's point, set your deadline, get it done. Yeah. And then if you have time, then go back and maybe work on that grand piano in the background or whatever it is. You know what yeah. I mean? Like get it done first teach yourself what is required to get it done on time. And then if there's extra, then you add the little zhuzh to it. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, it, and this is what's going to happen. And this is what's going to cure you of that over time. There was a great uh, Daffy Duck animated short in which he's doing a dance up there on the stage, right? And it's a huge elaborate, he's tap dancing, he's doing this, he's doing that. And he, you know, he comes to the big finish and he skids forwards on his knees with his arms outstretched and his chest is just thumping. He's, he's heaving, you know, in, in, in gasping <laughs> breaths. <laughs> And and you can hear crickets out in the audience. You know, nobody's <laughs> applauding. Being a cartoonist who overdraws is very much like that. You put all of this effort into it. You hit your knees. You throw your hands out for the applause, and you hear crickets. And that is only going to happen to a few times where you draw that grand piano, like Dave said, and you drew every key in perfect perspective and you made sure that you spaced out the black keys uh, just right because you, you took a look, they, they've got a certain pattern, right? Right. Uh, you're you're going to do that a few times, throw your arms out and hear crickets before you get cured of that real quick. <laughs> and and you know what, Brad, actually, you just reminded me of something. If, if we can all think back to that McLeod page that talks about iconicity in a chart going to realism. Remember, yes. as a cartoonist and, and we've all seen this. Yeah, you can absolutely be that chest heaving cartoonist who's yeah. overdrawn because in shooting for realism too much, you forget that there is actually power in iconicity. Yes. And that when you draw a grand piano too detailed, remember that you're drawing a grand piano, right? Yeah. The specific grand piano. When you draw one that is more iconic, you're drawing the idea, the more relatable idea of pianoness. Right. Yes. And yes. in some respects, that makes a comic more powerful. So that actually can be a counterbalance to you in terms of how much to work or overwork a cartoon by remembering that iconicity actually helps the power of a cartoon. Hey, if you're listening while you work, take a minute to stand and stretch. And while you're doing that, we're going to tell you why you should join us on Patreon. When you do, you're going to get hours and hours of podcasts that we've recorded just for backers. And exclusive Patreon posts that go even deeper on Comic Lab topics. And access to our exclusive Discord server, which is a thriving community of professional cartoonists. So you can support the show you love and get tons of actionable resources for your own cartooning. And listen, if you can't swing a pledge this month, we get it. No worries. Yeah, yeah, listen, you can still support the show by rating us wherever you get your podcasts. Just leave a five-star review and a few kind words. That, along with mentions on social media, is incredibly helpful. Now, everybody, let's talk comics. So, Brad, a huge update in Dave Kellett world. Uh, yes. I texted you this photo yesterday. Very exciting news, Brad. It turns out you can walk into a grocery store and just straight up buy pineapple juice. <laughs> I walked in with money and I walked out with pineapple oh. juice and I'm a happier man for it, Brad. No more visiting those back alley juiceries for you. You're going right <laughs> going right to Trader Joe's and, and getting your juice off of a shelf. No more crashing wet 
weddings that I don't belong at or going to bar mitzvahs for people that I don't know just to get to the open bar of pineapple juice. Dave oh. Kellett, now I so I bought this little six pack Brad from the Dole folks, and yeah. uh, it is the weirdest little cans. It's like the way the beer cans were for our dads in the seventies. Remember they were like more steel like. Yeah. And and had like an edge to them. They're not yep. aluminum like cans. They're I don't know how to describe them. It's more like a can of beans than a can of aluminum, you know? Well, yeah, I think that's because of the acidity. Like you can never put orange juice into a aluminum container because then it tastes like battery acid. They oh, probably have is to that use true? a special kind of container for that. Oh, that might be why. Anyway, the pineapple juice, it's also sold in a very unsatisfying seven ounce uh, can, which if you're Dave Kellett, you want to throw like three of those down. Anyway, so a somewhat satisfying, somewhat unsatisfying update from Dave Kellett oh, on the pineapple gosh, juice front. Just, just finding out that the great balance of the world that giveth and taketh away. Uh, with but when the I texted juice. you that photo of me holding the pineapple juice, you oh. said something delightful about that photo. Yeah, I've, I've, I've seldom seen you that happy. And I'm telling you, it was a look. I've seen Dave Kellett have. Happy. I've seen him in, in the midst of a belly laugh. This was a, a, a degree of joy I have never seen on this man's face. <laughs> I was legit very happy. I can't believe, I cannot believe it took me that many trips around the sun to realize I can just go into a store and buy you pineapple can, juice. Yeah, and just uh, and now you've got it at the house and, and, and you can go out and, and go to the refrigerator anytime you want and just have pineapple juice. I could throw this microphone across the room, walk away and go yeah. get myself a pineapple juice right now brad it's taking so much oh. willpower to stay here and chat <laughs> well if the shows start getting uh shorter and shorter <laughs> you're gonna know what's happening uh so congratulations on your pineapple juice uh we have another update and this one is really interesting uh just recently this week as we are recording the show elon musk has made overtures to buy twitter okay and it has resulted in a lot of people making announcements that they are leaving Twitter over this. This is it. They are leaving, <laughs> which uh, I don't. I, I Here's the deal. I, I, I don't I don't like Elon Musk. I, I, I think he's a very uh, shady character. Uh, I, I don't. I, I the, the problem I have with the performative aspects of announcing that you're leaving Twitter because of Elon Musk is that. Uh, instantly, the first question that comes up is that, is this, does this mean that you actually think that everything leading up into this moment on Twitter was good? It was, was Twitter uh, a good place? It was, it, was it handled nobly up until this moment? <laughs> and all of a sudden Elon wrecked all of that. I've got news for you. Twitter was a, was a, was a, a depressing, horrible shithole to begin with. It's going to be that way, no matter what, no matter who takes it over. Uh, I, I, I have a real problem with a, the performative aspects of people's uh, announcing they're leaving Twitter and B knowing full well that they're not actually going to leave Twitter. Right. We know that all these people shaking their fists, leaving Twitter are going to be there next month because that's where all of the users are. Now, do you want to go out and create uh, an account on Mastodon or Pillow Fort or any of those other uh, places that are right now really hoping that they can build up enough steam to knock Twitter off? I think building those accounts is a great idea. The problem is until millions upon millions of people also make those accounts, 
those places are are not going to be uh, the places you're spending most of your efforts. You're going to spend your efforts as a web cartoonist in the places where you can get the maximum ability to reach people. And as long as that's Twitter, you're going to be on Twitter. Let's face facts, because doing otherwise is going to be cutting off your nose to spite your face. What do you think, Dave? Yeah, no, I think the pragmatic approach is the right one here because yeah. my I'll be honest, my own emotional state with this is that I'm like, I like Brad. Uh, you know, life is complicated. I can like yeah. the work that Elon Musk is doing with SpaceX and with Tesla and still dislike Elon Musk. I think there's something inherently, I don't know, narcissistic about him that I don't trust. Mm-hmm. Um, the very fact that he paid off the founders of Tesla so that he could say he was the only founder of Tesla. There's something yeah. odd about that. Like it's it's there's nothing. It's kind of like how McDonald's was handled in when he took over McDonald's. You know what I mean? Right. Um and not not Elon Musk. I'm saying when when uh, oh, uh, what's his name took over McDonald's and forced out the original people. Anyway, yeah. what I'm getting at is uh, that you can like the work of Elon Musk and still think that he's a bit dodgy of a person in terms of being a little mercurial, a little bit, yeah. uh, you know, odd. And so I don't necessarily trust where this is going to go. Um, but it's also the realization, like Brad said, that we are living at the moment in a vastly unequal society that is kind of worse than our grandparents' generation in terms of CEOs used to be paid like 400 times what the lowest paid employee used to be paid, you know, which is bad, but not that bad. Now they're paid uh, a weird exponentially high number higher uh, than the lowest paid, like the lowest paid Amazon employee doesn't is is not doesn't represent one forty billionth of of what Bezos makes or or made, uh you yeah. know a year. Uh, the same is true with uh, any other oligarch you want in either American, European, Chinese, Russian system. And unfortunately, when you say to yourself, "Well, now that Bezos, or now that Musk owns Twitter, I'm out," you're kind of saying to Brad's point, "Well, I was okay when it was the Emir of Qatar that owned right. the majority of Twitter, but yeah. I guess I'm not okay with with Musk." It's like a uh, part of it you have to be. Pr- pragmatic because look at uh, there's like 10 15 uh, basically oligarchs that own most of media in the US you know yeah. whether it's BlackRock whether it's Bezos owning the Washington Post whether it's Musk now owning Twitter yeah. unfortunately there's just a very few very limited people I'm not trying to get into class warfare but I'm just saying like you have to be pragmatic about it because they're all a little shady and they're shady yeah. in slightly different ways and so you're saying like I'm okay with this oligarch but I wasn't okay with that oligarch it's like yeah. it gets a little tricky at times so yeah. uh, what I'm I, I I agree with Brad that it's going to be a wait and see. I personally think because of the mercurial nature of of Musk himself and because I think he's going to run into more regulation, especially from the EU than he thinks he does. Yeah, I think he's going to sell it. I, and this is my personal prediction. It'd be fun to come back around on this. Mm-hmm. I think within four or five years, he will sell Twitter and he will sell it at a loss to what he paid for it. Uh, that is my, I, I think it's going to be like when, when uh, much like Yahoo, I think it's basically going to yeah. drop down in value, having reduced uh, its overall user base. That's yeah. my prediction, Brad. What's your prediction for how this is going to go? My prediction is this. Uh, and uh, well, I guess I'll turn this into a prediction right now. Today, this morning, the top news is that the shareholders might block the sale. And uh, I'll nah, just say it right that. now that ain't happening. They, those shareholders are going to go along with this uh, with with big smiles on their faces because uh, this is way this is their best chance of cashing out. Because at the end of the day, let's face it, Twitter doesn't have a lot of actual value. They, 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 they take a look at all of the things in the last two years. Twitter has been 
flailing about trying to launch Twitter yeah. blue paid promotion ads. What was that thing? Subscribe to tips for tweets, yeah. subscribing to tweets, all that, that there's been about a dozen things they've tried to launch to make money. Each and every one of them has been an abject failure. The, at the end of the day, other than data mining, <laughs> Twitter doesn't have a lot of value. And these people that are shareholders are going to take this opportunity to take that guy's money and run. This is their one opportunity to cash out and they know it. They are not going to turn this down. This sale is, is it, it, unless something uh, unforeseen happens, it ain't going to be the shareholders that blocks this sale. They're going to be going along with this with big smiles on their faces. And yeah, uh, and yeah, trust in, in capitalism to not do the altruistic thing when it, when yeah. a good uh, shareholder value. I mean, listen, to be fair, he he offered 33 percent more than the existing market value at the time. I know it's gone up since. Yeah. but that's a that's a good offer for for a publicly held company. So now, we'll, meanwhile, we'll, the other news today is that uh, Tesla shares have sunk more than eight percent. The biggest dropped in two months as oh, investors he's gonna have to wonder sell. <laughs> where Musk is getting the money to buy Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> that uh, reading on how he was doing the finance for this purchase, by the way, that's he I think he's absolutely going to have to dump a lot of Texas stock. He'll borrow against a percentage of it and then dump another percentage of it. And yeah. I because, you know, we're keep in mind when when people say he's the richest man in the world, a lot of that is on paper. At any given time, yeah. it's based on the stock valuation of his, his Tesla, SpaceX, boring company, all that sort of stuff. Anyway, yeah. long story short, let's just keep this to the, the brass tacks. I will like Brad. I would advise staying the course until things get so bad or until certain people are let back on the platform that makes you angry and then yeah. <laughs> and then make a decision. Decision accordingly. <laughs> yeah. And, and in the meantime, if you want to experiment with Pillow Fort and Mastodon and the rest, and that's 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 not a terrible thing. It's just that uh let's face it, let's be honest, nobody is is gonna uh, shut off their Twitter account and start posting full time on those other platforms yet because it's just not going to be we, well, well, let's be fair. We've seen it with LiveJournal or with yeah. MySpace. It does happen. It only tends to happen every 5, 10, 15 years. And, and frankly, it hasn't happened recently because they've gotten better on not allowing a MySpace or a LiveJournal to happen. Yeah. Uh, you know, they yeah. tend to buy out competition. So uh, I think Twitter is what it is for the foreseeable future. Um, yeah. And uh, anyway, so that's that update. And then our final update for this week, Brad, we got a wonderful email from our uh, listener uh, in Southern California here who said... Uh, Hope all is well. I listened to the latest episode of Comic Lab on Patreon this morning and heard you guys talking about email marketing. Brad mentioned not using your personal email address as a sender on your newsletter for several reasons, and all were excellent points. You then brought up needing to update your sender address for all those reasons. We just went through this last year at my company, and I wanted you to be aware that it can be a bit of a process depending on your list size. You will need to go through a migration warm-up with the new sender address, or it could be flagged as spam. Think of it as a getting to know you period. Places like Gmail can look at a brand new email address sending several thousand emails as a potential phishing scheme. In a nutshell, it takes about two weeks. It starts with sending to a very small portion of your subscribers from the new email address and then slowly ramping it up until finally sending to the entire list. It worked really well for our company and we avoided any major issues. If folks are just starting building lists, this would be happen organically, obviously, and they will not need to be concerned. Also, if the list size is not too, be, too big, say under 1,000 subscribers, then they will probably be fine. Hope this helps. And then Brad, if you don't mind a second, 
Oh, yeah. He sent along a a little addendum, which I want to put on for the joy of it. In other news, I just wanted to thank you guys for making such an entertaining podcast. Over the last year, I have been re-listening through the archive while going on a daily walk and somehow managed to drop 40 pounds. The Comic Lab exercise routine (laughs) has worked wonders for my waistline. Brad, that is a joy to hear. Yeah, yeah, that's congratulations because that is not easy to do. Uh, I, I'm I'm thrilled to hear that you lost forty pounds. I'm um, I'm sad to say that I think I may have found them, but I'm <laughs> I'm thrilled to hear that that worked out well for you. That's good, and that's that's good healthy exercise, getting out and walking. Absolutely, it's it's a good it's good thinking time. Oh, I've been I've yeah. been walking during the pandemic, and it's 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 good working. It's good working that yeah. uh, that uh, that walking. Turns out human bodies are meant to do it. All right, Brad. So let's jump into our next question for the podcast. This comes in from Larson over at Patreon.com/slash/ComicLab, and Larson writes, "What are your thoughts on rerunning?" completed comics on social media. I've seen a number of creators who have dedicated Twitter accounts from their completed comics reschedule new postings of the old comic with updated promotions for their Patreon or other projects. Is this some form of a way to work, put old comics back to work? Brad, what do you think? Are you okay with reruns, basically? Oh, I love the idea. I think this is a really good idea. In fact, I think it is a good uh, uh, kind of extender to something that we've said about how cartoonists and other creative people struggle on social media. Uh, this is a really good reminder of, of what we talk about in that conversation. If you remember, we said uh, a, a while ago, cartoonists struggle on social media because they are trying to be creative and they're trying to be original and social media doesn't reward creativity or originality it create it, it, or social media rewards frequency and mm-hmm. consistency mm-hmm. and 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 having that thing like a steady heartbeat like that um, conversation we had earlier about making your twitter uh, or your social media uh, an atm for that other people can come and draw out interesting things right that's what social media rewards it doesn't necessarily reward one creative burst it, re- it rewards consistency and frequency. So uh, that's something that you can absolutely do. We, we, we get into this uh, car- very cartoonist mindset that once I've posted a uh, social media post with my comic on it, like today's comic, I can never do that again or else I'm repeating myself, right? right. Well, no, that's not how it works. <laughs> the truth of the matter is, is that... Uh, We know from the algorithm that an awful lot of your audience didn't see that post. So if you post it twice, um, nobody's going to know. Most of those people aren't going to see the same one twice. And if a few of them do, they're just going to scroll past it anyway. It's not going to be a big deal. You should absolutely be reusing your old material as a way to bump up your consistency and frequency. uh, Because number one, you know that the chances of somebody seeing the same thing twice is very, very small. And number two, that's going to help you get that frequency and consistency that social media rewards. Yeah. If if anything, Brad, I think I don't rerun enough. Yeah. If, that, if I can say it that way, I, I I see how, for example, the Instagram algorithm is feeding me. I can just tell uh, yeah. this uh, a similar pattern of a few hundred to a few thousand images because I see them repeatedly, and I'm like, I see what you're doing, Instagram. I clearly yeah. express some sort of either 
slight lingering in my scroll or just enough where you're like, you're trying to entice me with the same, you know, hundred, couple hundreds, couple thousand images. Yeah. And uh, if anything, that's a lesson that I could be taking to how I do social media, which is I have after 25 years of sort of greatest hits of Dave Kellett comics that I should be dipping into that well every once in a while yes. and showing them again, just reminding people like this is these were really good comics. You should check them out yeah. again, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and also because they they are they are effective on social media. Their spread was powerful. So why am I only allowed to use that once when <laughs> when any form of advertising is trying to reach you seven times with the same yes. message? Why can't that comic be reaching you seven times? Obviously not, you know, bang, 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 bang. But like over the yeah. course of months and years. So if anything, I think I tend to rerun not enough. And uh, so I'm not only, not only am I okay with it, I guess I'm saying, I actually realize that I need to be doing it more. I think it, I think it's an effective way to reach uh, both longstanding audience who are perfectly fine seeing the same comic again that they loved yeah. and new people for whom that popular comic will spread farther. And also let's not forget that uh, we can take this idea one step further in the same way that I just got done talking about repurposing and repackaging uh, mm -hmm. in, in our topic at the beginning of the show, you can also repurpose how you tweeted that comic the first time, right? You can, you can take maybe uh, a, a, a crop from it. For example, like if you paste posted something uh, that was several panels, you might post that in a different way. Or maybe if you posted it as a one chunk, you could post it as a panel by panel swipe. You can, you can rephrase or and reposition how you posted that thing. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of ways. There's there's more. Here's my point. There's more than one way to post a comic. And yeah, so far, yeah. you've posted that comic one way. You should be thinking about some ways uh, that are other than that, that you can post it in the future so that you can get more bang for your buck. You're basically, if you think about it, doing A-B testing. Like, yeah, what happens when yeah. I post a comic as a single panels versus as yep. one big page? What happens when I post the comic with this headline or associated tagline versus this headline or associated tagline? Yeah. And yeah. so in so A-B testing, you'll see that certain phrasing, certain ways of of, of making it uh, impactful. Um, Brad, you remember with Kevin McShane, the, the, he was telling us about the way you post it with a with impactful statements for the reader what right, was the phrase right. what was the phrase that kevin used that was always talked about share thoughts share thoughts right? thanks thank oh, you like, i couldn't remember what that, but why is my follower going to share this right, right? and so and, when you a b test share yeah. thoughts or how it might be impactful for the reader uh you can see which one is more effective and in so doing it's a cheap and effective way to to, to go forward with the, how are you going to post tomorrow or next week's comic by a b yeah. testing the past ones yeah i'll tell you exactly what i how i do this i've got a, a bunch of single panel comics that I've been doing. And, and lately I've been doing them like every Monday because I've, I've gotten into the swing and it, it's been a good kind of creative challenge for me to mm -hmm, do single mm -hmm. panel. And, uh, so I've got a whole bunch, I've got a, a few hundred of these single panel comics now. And even, even then like, okay, a single panel, there's only one way to post it, right? No, I post it. Mine is slightly more horizontal and so sometimes I crop it into a nine by 16 aspect ratio with a little bit of white on either side, okay. but just so that it's not getting cropped when it shows up in the feed. Right. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. I do nine by 16 because that's going to look better, uh, for example, on a mobile. Right. Right. Sometimes I crop that into a square using, again, some white space at the top and the bottom because that's going to look a certain way. 
And then again, I A, B test that and say, okay, which, which was more readable on a desktop computer, which was more readable on a mobile phone. Uh, I'll, I'll take that and play any number of different ways with how I'm doing it. Maybe I want to put a little bit of information on that white space uh, and run it up the side. There's tons of different ways. Uh, uh, you should not be limited to just posting your comic once. I've even, I've even seen Brad A.B. test doing a sort of animated slide across the comic that yep. you've done from either TikTok or Instagram. And so mm-hmm. you've A.B. tested that, too. So, by the way, uh, I, I don't know if people know this, but I have been actively pushing Brad because I think it's such a fun idea. He's got this huge collection of single panel comics, and I would love, love, love to see you kickstart that in the years ahead. Because uh, I think what a great collection that would be, Brad. I think that I, I would love to own that one. I'm a hundred percent on board with that idea. And and I've got enough in color that I could actually do a pretty good sized book at this point. It's, it's definitely coming down the line. I, sure. Yeah. Cause it's one of my, you, you know, you, you have a couple different, um, not styles, but you can, you can, I mean, yes, styles and the style that you draw your single panel comics, I find so endearing and warm and delightful uh, that I just want a whole book of that. I think it's, I would love to have that on my shelf. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Well, listen, before I before I get all choked up over that phrase, uh, <laughs> would you like to do one more question today? Let's do one more question, my friend. All right. This one comes in from Steph, who says, uh, am I good enough? Uh, yes, basically? Steph, I'm going to answer you right there. You're good yes. enough. People in your life like you. You are worthwhile. Yes, yes. That's it. End of the show. <laughs> it says, am I good enough? Am I ready for my own website? Is And what is the threshold? Despite already buying a domain name, the thought of paying for a website to host my work of limited quality and audience feels disproportionate. Am I being realistic or does this sound like imposter syndrome? I've heard you both repeatedly advise budding artists to invest in a cell phone website uh, Mm -hmm. and limit reliance on social media, uh, which have unpredictable longevity, as we were just talking about. But Do I need to achieve a certain level of artistry or success before I commit to my own website? Thank you so much for the laughs and advice. I'm never not in the mood to listen to you two. That's the best, <laughs> that's great. best that, compliment we could get. That, that's, that is great. So this is a fun uh, question because uh, I... It, it is true, Steph, that we have we have advised cartoonists that for the middle road and the long road, you want to have your own website. You want to have a landing page so that when Facebook changes or dies or grows or Twitter, yeah. Facebook dies or grows or Webtoons dies or grows, whatever the changes come to their site, you still mm-hmm. have the central core spot that uh, you can build from and point people to and and operate from. Yeah. But I will say that if we haven't made this clear in the past, this is a good answer to give you, which is that I personally think it's better to just start the act of cartooning first, right? Yeah. Uh, Dive in, start sharing it on social media, let three months go by, six months go by, maybe nine or 12 months go by, and then you can say, you know what, I'm really enjoying this. I am ready to commit to this act of being a cartoonist. I will build a website. And I'll tell you, the the flip side is actually a little bit worrisome. Whenever I see someone really diving into the design of the website and oh look it's gonna have all these widgets yeah. and i look this is gonna when, when it goes to mobile it's gonna do this when it goes to desktop it's gonna do this and then i realize i think you're a little bit more excited about being a web designer 
and yeah. you are being a cartoonist, mm-hmm. honestly, because they're diving into the website, but they're kind of not cartooning all that much, you know? Yeah. And so that kind of tells you all you need to know about where your excitement lies. And so if your excitement lies with cartooning, then do the comics, share them however you can, even if it's just on a family Facebook page for a while. And, and then when you're ready, you can invest the time, the effort and the, and the mojo to put a, a website yeah. together. Brad, what are your thoughts? Well, one of the things we've talked about on this show an awful lot is the is that you should be uh, taking joy in being an amateur or a pro am cartoonist. Yeah. And that so much of what we're fighting against on this show is this mindset that often we ourselves had that we didn't have worth until we were professionals, right? And we're right, saying, right. listen, there's 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 an honor, there's a joy, there's a nobility in being an amateur. Uh, cartoonist. There's a joy in being a pro-am cartoonist. In fact, right. we, we, we've been using that word and that, that title more and more in the show just to kind of help to give that, get that idea of pro-am across and make right. it more legitimate, I guess, and normalize it uh, to the extent that we can. Uh, so uh, the threshold that you're talking about is when you, when you start to change your priorities to a little bit more pro and a little bit less am. Okay. And when you decide <laughs> that, and, and, and that's when you, when you've decided that uh. I want to start to focus on monetization and I want to focus on audience building. And I, I want to see if I can make this thing build an income. When you start to uh, lean in those directions of starting to focus on the professional aspect uh, that's when you need to start thinking yes. about your website. Yes. But as yeah. long as you're pro am or am, then they, then you can do the whole thing using uh, sites like Webtoons and Tapastic and and social media and so forth. When you start to t- and and this, I'm going to say the words, but I don't mean them uh, the way you might think I mean them. When you start to get serious, and I don't mean that you're not serious now, but when you start to get serious about building this into a business, yeah, then you need a website. Until yeah. then, enjoy yourself and be a pro-am cartoonist. It's a wonderful thing and, and enjoy everything about it because uh, there's yeah. nothing wrong with it. I, 100%. That is super true. What's funny, yeah. Brad, is when you were saying pro, when you're ready to go pro from being am, something about that sounded a little bit like a dating site, like pro 33 <laughs> seeks am 32 for light, casual conversation and fun dates. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> are you pro or are you an am? Well, I'm an am, but I was a pro, but now I'm an am. And I, I'm seeking a pro for... For pro am, <laughs> for pro am. Yeah, I'm, I'm, anyway. I'm a pro am switch. Actually, <laughs> I, I I can be one or the other. But yeah, no, I think Brad's right. When you're ready to, when you, and you'll kind of know it. It'll be a tingle at the back of your head when yeah. that you're like, I'm ready to start go, taking this to the next level. Like. You'll have your characters more down. You'll have your your storytelling. You're feeling a slightly bit more at ease with it. You're yeah. you're feeling a groove and productivity, and a, you've got a schedule that's more set. Then I think you start ready to to start putting down uh, more serious uh, website uh, roots. Yeah, and actually, it's funny you mentioned that about that tingle in the back of your head because I just got a tingle in the back of my head that says that you've been listening to Comic Lab, the show about making comics and making a living from comics. Your hosts have been my friend Brad Geiger, the editor of webcomics.com and the creator of Evil Inc. at evil-comic.com. And my good friend Dave Kellett, the co-director of the comics documentary Stripped and the cartoonist of Sheldon at sheldoncomics.com and Drive at drivecomic.com. 
And the Comic Lab theme song is used with permission from Andy Creighton at theworldrecord.net. And this episode was edited by Matt Woodard of Woodsong Productions over at www.woodsong.media. If you love Comic Lab, you can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, and you may hear your review featured on a future episode. And Comic Lab is made possible by your support on patreon.com slash comic lab. So we'll go ahead and say that twice. Patreon.com slash comic lab. So, Brad, you've known me now for 20 years, and you know I love a yes. little bit of quiet, right? I mean, yeah, I enjoy yes. reading a little book. I love kind of my my introverted time, and I think I know the Hollywood star that I would like to be buried next to if I had to pay 100000 bucks to be buried next to a Hollywood star. Oh, my God. Is it who I'm thinking of? Who is it? A silent movie star from the 20s. That's oh. who I want. Someone well, from I... before the talkies. That's what, how lovely to be buried next to just a little peace and quiet, Brad. Oh, that's who I want. I was I was going to suggest Harpo Marx, but who wants to go through eternity hearing and you just I'm just being handed rubber geese all eternity. That's all. <laughs>